1: Welcome back to the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network.
2: We're brought to you by Yak For all your fine quality kayak fishing accessories, go to yakgadget.com. Pelican cases, cooler, and lighter. Go to pelican.com. And the 153 Bait Company. For all your heart and
1: soft bait needs. Go to the 153angler.com.
2: Now let's join our special guest around the campfire. Welcome back, everyone! Another episode of Feather for your host, Brad Hurlbus, and tonight we have on a special guest, Jay Dowd. So we're going to bring him in right away. Welcome to the show, Jay. Hey, Brad. How's it going? It's going really good. I'm. Uh, it's middle of December. Uh, We're kind of in our winter break, so this episode actually isn't going to air to January. It's kind of nice being able to work ahead and kind of take that pressure of always having to have an episode every two weeks off me for a little bit. Sure. So that'll be nice. We got Christmas coming up. Um, It's late season for grouse, which if we can keep out of some of this deep snow, my dog will still perform well. So it's a good time of year, actually. Oh, yeah. So welcome to the show um I kind of started all my shows a little bit the same way so with how how you started hunting was it a family tradition did you grow up around dogs and birds with hunting with your dad and grandpa or were you like me and in your late 20s you're like you know what I want to try to start doing this
1: yeah I know I grew up around it my grandpa was always a uh, he was always a grouse hunter I always had a uh, I always had at least one one or two dogs around so he's been he started dragging me into the woods when I was barely high enough to see over the ferns
2: that had to have been an experience at that age. I mean, I yeah. can't imagine. <laughs> so before we go too far, cause that's going to change the experience. So pointing dogs or flushing dogs, so like right pointing dog.
1: dogs. Oh yeah. The first, the first dog I would ever hunted over was a Brittany that my grandpa had. Yep.
2: All right. So that means you were right there and personal with that flush or at least closer than what it would have been with the flushing dog.
1: Yeah. That's, yep. I mean, I used to follow him around with a, yeah, yeah, he, he got me a uh, BB gun for Christmas one year and let me take that in the woods with, with him and I was plinking around and following him around and listening to him yell at the dogs. <laughs>
2: well, that's, that's awesome. Uh, so did your dad also hunt then, or is it more like all where is it more time spent with your grandpa then?
1: Well, most of the time was spent with my grandpa. I, I never met my, my real dad. Um, so my grandpa kind of took me under his wings and he, um, You know, he was always there for me, always took me out. And, you know, every weekend I was, you know, even when I was in school, I I stayed with him and we were going hunting and it was hunting season.
2: That's awesome. Um, Just to grow up around those traditions and the birds at such an early age and all that experience passed down from the generations, right? I mean, kind of, I'm sure it kind of helped cut your learning curve because at a young age, you're already looking at and you might not even realize it, but you're already seeing productive cover versus unproductive cover, and everything sure. else that like, goes along with that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was kind of uh ingrained in me before I even really knew what I was looking at. You know, I I knew, you know, I you know, kind of knew what what stuff to look for when I kind of got out and started doing it more on my own. Sure. As far, I mean, as far as cover goes, yeah. And that's,
2: I mean, for grouse hunters, at least for me, that's. been a huge learning curve that I'm still, I still constantly learning like different temperature, different seasons, different weather, weird weather and patterns that I haven't experienced like a really early snowfall in October and how that can just throw the birds for a loop and all that, all that experience over the years, just like knowing cover and habitat. And you know what? I recognize this. I saw this 15 years ago. I'm going to go start here instead. I mean, that's all just that knowledge is just just amazing when you think about it and like to have it passed down is just just puts you one step farther ahead of having to figure it all out on your own
1: yeah there's a lot to it it can be intimidating at times for sure
2: yeah i I run into that i mean i get like i first i hunted the up for the first time this year for grouse i mean i live in wisconsin never really decided to make the trip decided to make it this year to explore a new area and it's daunting when you have no experience in an area i can look yeah. at logging maps tells me it was cut at this age or this age i can look between onyx the michigan dnr has got some phenomenal software that's for free as well and even when you look at all of that you're like all right this should be a good area you get there and it's nothing like what you visualized on the map
1: right yeah yeah sometimes the maps can throw you for a loop too you know it tells you it's one thing and then you go way out your way to get there. And it's, you know, it's, instead of being a 10 year old Aspen cut, it's a 50 year old oak stand. So you, you never really know. It's, it's, you know, you, you can use that stuff and, and it does help out a lot, but you still, you know, boots on the ground. There's no substitute for that.
2: I I agree. When, it gives you a starting point, like to point the truck yeah. in a tr- certain direction and then you drive there and it's like, man, this is some really old pine, which was supposed to be like, nine year old forest right but but i'm over here now so let's just keep exploring till yeah. we find something that's been
1: cut yeah you hit the nail on the head though it does point you in the right direction it'll get you gives you a good jumping off point
2: and that's i mean that's how i i if you like i like to explore so with liking mm-hmm. to explore even if i wind up picking an unproductive area just cruising around logging roads I enjoy that. Now, I'd much rather have boots on the ground watching my dog work in a productive cover. Yes. But even even just to drive around like these big national forests and just like there's a lot of beauty to be seen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's fun. So where are you?
2: Where where, where do you call home then?
1: I I live in Flint, Michigan. Okay, kind of downstate, not not too far downstate, but kind of just below the middle there. Not too many grouse around here. I gotta drive a little bit to get into them, but
2: sure, but so you have grouse in lower Michigan in the northern half though, correct?
1: Yeah, there's grouse down here in the southern parts of the Michigan too, but it's okay. not not the way they used to be. I mean, there's still woodcock and stuff down here, but yeah, sure. woodcock and pheasants and stuff like that. But for the most part, you're driving north to to get into the grouse. I I, I can get into pretty good grouse cover about an hour north of my house.
2: Oh, that's, that's not a bad, I mean, that, that makes no. for a good day trip, but even a sure. half a day trip. Yeah. I got to go for me being in, I'm in Madison, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to drive up to get into hunt cover that I actually is worth hunting. In my opinion, it's about two, two and a half hours. If okay. I really want to just go a little farther and go to three hours, I'm in really good habitat. Then. Sure. So That's it makes three hours, six hours round trip. Makes for a long day, but if the weather's right and I got nothing else going on, it's it's still not a terrible drive.
1: Yeah, once you get in the woods, it makes it all worth it anyway. Exactly, and and like you, I have woodcock that come through here, so yeah. that's a,
2: and that's a favorite little bird of mine to chase. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Michigan, so Michigan's where you call home. Um I. The listeners don't know this yet, but I know this. You're you're a big grouse hunter. hmm Um, woodcock hunt. We've already mentioned that. So pheasant. So do you chase pheasants as a lot as well, or
1: not a lot? Once you're, you know, in Michigan, we don't have the pheasant population that we used to have out here. Um, there's one area of the state that has good um wild, uh, well, pretty good wild pheasant populations. Not you know nothing compared to out west or anything like that, but. Um, I go over there once, maybe twice a year now. I mean, but up until last year, I probably hadn't pheasant hunted in almost ten years, so uh, not not a real, you know, real big priority on my list. But you know, I like doing it once I'm out there for sure. Sure,
2: I get I get it too. I mean, Wisconsin doesn't have a known wild bird population for pheasants. Mm-hmm. We have a DNR program that puts pheasants out. That's nothing. I really care to chase. Yeah. I'd much rather go chase wild grouse and wild wild woodcock, and Absolutely. to be an uh, and to be an hour away from from grouse territory, which you are. I mean, I wouldn't. I, my focus would be due north, and my compass wouldn't yeah. change. I, I already know that for a fact. Yeah,
1: yeah when so, I was a kid, I used to be able to go. You know, right around here, my grandpa far The farm my grandpa grew up on. He'd take me out there after school, and uh, we could you know we could hunt grouse woodcock wild pheasant and quail all right in the same spot um but that's uh that's been most of that land's been plowed over a long ago so i haven't been hunting over there in about 20 years but it used to be used to be you know decent decent grouse and pheasant right right down here in uh this part of the state but it seems that um the trend with the grouse is that you know they keep on you know, the the, the boundary for, for good grouse habitat Heck, keeps on getting pushed farther and farther north all the time.
2: Yeah. Loss of habitat. I mean, you got more houses coming in, right? Even, yep. At least around here. I mean, you got more houses, more subdivisions. Farming practices have changed where you don't have those big tree lines anymore. They yeah, that was more. a big,
1: part, big thing for us down here was the the modern farming, taking out all the fence lines and stuff like that. That's where we got know. rid of our pheasants, our quail, and our You know a lot of the grouse kind of hang out and that kind of stuff too at the old farm that i used to hunt
2: sure well because then you get that tree line then you get the wider fence lines and everything else and i i wasn't hunting back then but from the people i've talked to in wisconsin same thing the change in farming practices really we lost a lot of that nesting habitat for pheasants and that's when our wild pheasant population really started to take that decline yeah and nothing against farmers. I want to say yeah, that right No, now. absolutely. Nothing, nothing <laughs> farmers. But. I mean, I support I support farmers one hundred percent. They're out there yep. to make a living. It's their land. They, I mean, I, I I have nothing against it. It's just nothing more than it's changed the landscape, which has changed the wild bird habitat, and sure. it's nothing, nothing pro or against either right right (laughs) just want to make sure that's thrown out there because i don't have anything i don't want to go like this guy doesn't like farmers no nothing like
0: that
2: nothing more than a habitat conversation (laughs) (laughs) so you even had quail back then
1: yep yeah we had uh there was always you know two or three you know good-sized cubbies and we you know we wouldn't kill very many of them maybe just one or two a year Um, but we mostly just used them to run our young dogs on and it was it was always fun putting them up and you know I'm fortunate to have been able to take a few wild quail here in Michigan and um you know I mean there's still a few of them around I had a friend that messaged me a picture he had one in his uh he had a had um had some in his backyard uh over the spring and summer so uh there's still a few of them around um we I mean, we still have a season on them, uh, believe mm-hmm. it or not. But it's been a long time since I've actually seen one myself. Probably twenty years.
2: And even if you, I mean, and I wouldn't. I'm not going to speak for you, but I'm assuming even if you did flush a covey, that oh I, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't shoot at it. I, I mean,
1: wouldn't shoot him, No, it's you be know, more, be nice just knowing they're there.
2: Right. Exactly. Be more. Like, I mean, because hunters are one of the greatest conservationists out there, right? I mean, and. And even though the, the DNR says that it's illegal to have that season, I mean, we we normally, oh, a lot of us go one step farther, whereas if we see like an endangered bird or something like right. that, where even if there is a population, we'll let it walk, we'll let it fly, yeah. and we'll just enjoy that sight of that flush and the dog work.
1: Yep. Absolutely. No,
2: no, that's cool. I didn't know what Michigan had wild quail. I have yet, quail is on my bucket list to go go out and hunt. I've never actually hunted wild quail. I've never experienced the that flush of a covey and that eruption and that excitement of birds going every which direction.
1: Oh yeah. That's a lot of fun.
2: So, so that is, that's definitely on my list. Um, that'll be when I get another dog. Um, <laughs> my, my Griff's 10. I just, to go out West with her now, I'm not sure she's got the hips and the knees to put those kind of miles on and that type of terrain right now.
1: Yeah. That's, that's a big country out there. You really, you really need a lot of dog power when you go out out there and try to, you know, you're out there for any length of time at all, you know, definitely need a lot of dogs on the ground. And that's, I mean, I've talked to a couple people
2: through the show, which has been amazing because it's really broadened like my understanding of like different habitats and quail is always a fun topic for me to talk with people because I know nothing about it. So I'm just asking questioning after question after question. And the one thing I have like learned from all of it is they put on some miles.
1: Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, hunting them here, my grandpa, you know, he, he knew where every cubby, you know, was right at the old farm stand and he could walk right to a certain fence line or an old, you know, old barn or something and knew right where they'd be. But I, you know, a few years back, I was, you know, I went up to um, western Oklahoma and hunted them out there and it was, it was quite a bit different. You know, like you said, we put on a lot of miles, you know, to, to find the birds that we did, but it was pretty fun.
2: Yeah, I mean that's 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 the fun part about to me that I've always enjoyed about upland hunting because you go with your dogs, right? So oh, yeah, you're watching your dogs experience a new type of cover, a new type of bird, a new type of habitat, and you're right there with them experiencing this completely different style of hunting. Cause us being grouse hunters, we're hunting big woods. We're mm-hmm. hunting it's it's completely different than those prairies and plains.
1: Yep. Yeah, I um, I you know first and foremost I love grouse hunting. You know, over the other bird just because of where I live, but it's really nice getting out out west one you know once or twice a year and spend a little bit of time out there. Just you know, it, it's something different. You know, it's it's fun going into you know when you when you've hunted when you hunt a lot. It's always nice experiencing different things. I think that's kind of. Uh, one of the things i'm i really like doing now is you know hunting different you know different species and you know different areas and stuff like that just kind of break it up a little bit
2: i completely i completely get that i mean um that's that's kind of why i went to the up now is it real similar to wisconsin in a lot of ways sure but is it completely different it's a it's an area i've never even been in so while the woods, the woods don't even look the same. Nothing looks the same. I mean, it's yeah. all different. And it's the principles all apply, but it's completely different. And that's kind of why I branched out to, to Michigan. Minnesota is going to be on my list as well. To try to get up to the North woods in Minnesota, mm-hmm. like some closer trips still focusing on girls and woodcock because just because of the age of my pup, but now that I've gotten older, and I look at like these different areas and these different opportunities, it's like, you got to kind of get out there and chase them a little bit. Otherwise I feel like you're missing a whole piece of what, like what upland hunting can offer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, nowadays with, um with all the, you know, with on and stuff like that, I mean, it's really helpful, you know, tell, you know, helping you, you know, tell you where to go and stuff like that. You don't have to, you know, go through an outfit or anything like that anymore if you want to do it yourself. It, it helps you know the the average hunter out as far as that you know as you can it takes a lot of the uh takes the intimidating factor away from it for me anyway you know i'm always like well once i get up there where i go like what maps do i look at and you know it tells you where you know the public land is and where you can hunt and all the access points and stuff like that and um, it's really really a game changer
2: I agree. I mean, Onyx is a, is an amazing tool. And as we mentioned earlier, I mean, it's a starting point, right? Mm -hmm. But but with how it links from your phone to your computer, I mean, you can spend hours on your computer looking at maps on bigger screens, multiple screens at that point, if you'd even want to. And then, all right, I want to check this area out. You can drop waypoints, access points. You can drop waypoints in different sections of cover that you might have to walk to and you bring all that with you
1: absolutely yeah onyx I, I, I is great great for that kind of stuff um you know the thing about onyx i like it's different from some of the other mapping software is it really doesn't tell you as far as michigan goes i know i think you guys got different layers over in wisconsin but it just kind of tells you of like boundaries and stuff like that um you know the problem with some of the other mapping softwares that we've had here in michigan is like it'll, it puts basically like a red dot in like good grouse cover Sure. So, I mean, all the—it's like a bullseye for all the other hunters. So, um, it—it just seems like all the—you know—most of the hunters are kind of all jammed up in one spot now. You know, and um, you know, for better or for worse, that's how it is. I mean, it's—it's great as far as you know, getting people to the to the cover, but it's you know, it's kind of. You might have if you go up there on a Saturday morning. You're going to have to drive from you know through a couple of these spots, and you're going to see some people park. Some people park here. We're hoping there wouldn't be any money parked. And
2: I, I, the the internet has made things far less secretive, right? Yeah. I mean, it's opened up a lot of knowledge that before was just took hours of driving and boots on the yep. ground. Whereas now you can look at national forest layers that tell you what year they were cut. And yeah. if you know what year you're looking for, you can eliminate a ton of land right then and there. Yep. Um. You are right. Wisconsin does have some even more detailed layers than Michigan, which points you in very like it takes a lot of guesswork right out. Like if, yeah. if you trust those layers, which, I will say sometimes they're accurate, sometimes they're not just like X, right? Renex, right? Um, but some of those, I, when I first saw some of those layers come out, I'm like, holy cow, Like I've never seen someone else in that spot and it just got publicized. I'm like, yeah. oh man, like, and it's all public land. It's not <laughs> right. my land, right? Right, right. But if you didn't find it, now you yeah. know like, so yeah. I So I know exactly how you feel there. Like it's great that it's giving people the tools and the knowledge to get out and chase these birds. But it's also a little piece inside of me, selfish, that's so like, man, I knew about that spot. Right. I didn't want it to get let out there.
1: Right, right. And, and you know, it's not – it's still just as hard to shoot a grouse as it was before, but, uh, you know, it's just just one of those things. And, and another thing, I mean, just because of the yeah, X or whatever is telling you, you know, a piece of land is good, you might get there, and even if it's a good habitat, there might – you know, it doesn't mean there's going to be birds there. You know, you still got to get out in the when it comes right down to it.
2: Agreed. And even – even if it is good habitat, it might not be, it might be good habitat in a different part of the season. Right. It could be really good. It could be early season habitat. could be, you know, that's one of
1: the things you kind of got to figure out as you go along is when to hunt where, you know, right. And And that
2: takes, that takes just time in the woods. I mean, it really does. And even when I think I'm hunting the right areas, I'm still not like this, this past grouse camp, it was extremely hot. And we had a plan where, like, we're no, like, we know where birds are going to be when it's hot, right? So we went and we hunted those areas and we still only moved a handful of birds. And on my way back at a random rest stop, I saw a guy pull up. I had my camper, I had my griff out walking her. And you could tell I was an upland hunter just from the setup. He rolled up in a camper, he had three GSPs in the back. Him and I start talking. Turns out we were staying 10 miles from each other. <laughs> it's two different campgrounds, like right by each other. I'm like so. How'd you guys do? He's like one of my best years ever. I'm like really. I'm like we couldn't. I'm like I couldn't find him. He goes, you should have been hunting here. I'm like, that's where I was hunting. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah. what were you hunting for habitat? I'm like this. He goes, you were doing it right. You probably just weren't deep enough. I'm Like, man, oh, <laughs>
1: that's one of the one of the great things about grouse hunting. We're hunting Kansas. There's, there's so many variables, you know. It's, you know, the weather, the habitat, the food source. You know, and when you get Trying to go over pointing dogs. If you get one pointed, the dog's got to do its job right, and you got to be in the right place at the right time, and then you got to make the shot when when that comes along. So, and when it all comes together, it's uh, you know, it's a pretty special feeling. I think that's what you know what everybody really feels. I mean, and it's not just with pointing dogs with flushing dogs too. It's all, all different nuances and stuff like that. That you know, um, but it's just a real. It's when when everything comes together between you and your dog, it's uh, really a really rewarding experience.
2: I agree. I mean, that's, I mean, if it wasn't for my dog, I wouldn't upland hunt. I, mean, yeah, I, 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 I just, I enjoy upland hunting and the, I, I enjoy what it's not about killing birds. It's about watching my dog work habitat. It's about watching my dog still struggle sometimes to figure out pressured grouse, to figure out how much she can pressure him without bumping them and yep. waiting for those. And she has on and off days as well. So some days it, she'll just be like a rock star. And I'm like, Oh, we're finally figuring it out, then the next day she'll just be like, She forgot everything. I'm like, What just happened?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep, Yeah. we have those days too. <laughs> so, as I
2: said, I have a griff, I have a wired hair griff on. Um, you start, you said you had a Britney growing up, so did you stay with Britney's or did you kind of change pace? And
1: uh, no, my um, my grandpa had uh, a Britney, that was the first dog I remember, and then for whatever reason, he got into short hairs and he started breeding them. Um, but uh, my stepdad, um, when I graduated high school, he got me um, an English setter from back then. It was a um, a pretty well-known breeder um, from out West. Uh, and after I got that setter, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a good dog. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing training or anything. So it just, happened to, I lucked into this dog. Right. And, uh, it was, it was a good dog and my grandpa liked it so much. He, he got a setter, And then we've both had, you know, I've had setters ever since then. So and that was 19, you know, in the mid nineties when I, when that happened. So,
2: all right. So setters, um, I hunt over, I I hunt over, I've been hunting over a setter for, I think she's going to be
1: 13 this year.
2: So my best friend and I, I had a lab, he has a setter and his setter Mm -hmm. is a hundred percent deaf actually. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been hunting over a deaf setter yeah, on top of that, and her nose was amazing. I mean, a setters, I mean, I've been nothing but impressed with, set, with the setters I've hunted over.
1: They're, you know, they're pretty good. One, one thing I found is, man, you might, it's all about your personal preference. One, every dog is just as good as the next one, it depends on if you have a good dog or not, right? A good right. setter is no better than a good pointer or a good griff or, you know, they're just... I just happen to like setters, and I like their temperament. The ones I had, anyway. I've I've also seen some setters that were that were rascals, and I wouldn't want them <laughs> around. But uh, it's kind of what I got, you know. What I stuck with, and I'm a setter guy now. I got I got well, I have five of them, but my oldest setter lives with my grandpa now, and she's retired. So I got four of them that I still hunt with, and live in my home now with me.
2: All right. That's, that's a good size pack. I mean, that gives you plenty of time. I mean, that gives you plenty of fresh dogs where you can, Mm -hmm. you can work a lot of cover in a day with four dogs. Yeah. And as you were saying, like with dogs, I mean, each dog has its own personality, right. Where I've hunted over good setters. My lab was great. I love hunting over my Griff. I've hunted over GSPs. I've hunted over Britneys, and each dog is slightly different with how they work, work a field or work the woods and everything else. And not comparing the lab is that's a flusher, so completely different comparison. But right. setters have a different way to work if work the woods compared to a Griff, compared to a GSP, compared to a Brittany, and right. You can have good dogs and bad dogs in each, obviously, and a lot comes down to training and temperaments and good breedings. But as you were saying, like you found like the setter fits your personality great where i i really like my Griff right now but it, my style slightly changes A gsp might slightly suit me better or sure. or a britney i mean and that's the cool thing with dogs like every dog is unique but like they kind of have like that breed standards kind of a thing where like they all kind of like do something a similar way but each dog is unique and you can really find a breed that really works with your own personality and hunting style
1: right Yep, and much like dogs, I mean, there's different different hunting techniques, really, as far as grouse hunting with pointing dogs or flushing dogs. I mean, you can, you can do that, at, you know, a hundred different ways, too, and be successful. So it really just depends on how you want to go about it.
2: Right, I mean... I know people that are real technical with how they attack a cover. Like they 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 really break it down and figure like they really think the birds and they push it a certain way. Where there's a lot of times I'm like, well, this looks good. We're gonna walk a loop.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's. You know, I've been doing it for quite a while, and that's kind of still where I'm at with it. I, I, I don't, I don't think about it too much. I know I have different spots that work better, at, you know, different times of the year than others. But uh, for the most part, I just. I'm just going until I start finding them, you know. I,
2: I I haven't found a better way to do it. I mean, I can look at maps. I can think I know habitat, but honestly, it's let's let's walk a loop through here. How can I make a trail work through here and cut through back to this logging road or something? I just kind of do big dupe big loops and try yeah, not I to think double back.
1: That's uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that really they can really sell you that they got it nailed down and, and you know there's a few guys out there that do but for the most part all we can do is you know use our. it's it's all an educated guess every, every time you walk out there you know an educated guess is for me anyway you know I'm,
2: i agree i i mean that's like take that previous knowledge look at the habitat and be like all right let's try to walk through it this way and see what the dog's find. right I mean, I trust my dog a hundred percent cause I really believe she knows more than what I do.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure.
2: <laughs> and for, and for those people that haven't ever made it out grouse hunting that haven't actually experienced like what we're talking about, it's completely different than pheasant hunting and it, it's its own unique style of hunting and it's, it, it can be extremely challenging. Extre- cause even when you find the birds. I sw- I don't know how aspens and pine trees
1: are just so in love with grouse that they give their
2: lives for them. <laughs> but they do.
1: Yeah, it's it's quite a challenge. You know, every every you know I've I've been hunting grouse my whole life, and you know I don't know how many I've shot, but every every one I I kill is it's almost.
2: Oh boy, we lost you here for a second. I'm sure you'll come back in here shortly. Hopefully little bit of technical difficulties. He probably can hear me right now. You probably can't even hear him. I just can't hear him. So um, we'll hang out here for a second. Maybe write the time down, maybe do some fancy editing if this doesn't come back real quick here. Ooh, we've completely lost him now, so that's all right.
1: Mm-hmm. Can you hear me, Brad? I can hear you. Sorry about that. I don't know what's going on. I had to—I switched over to my phone here. I don't know what's going on in the computer. That's all right.
2: With the fancy magic of editing, we'll just cut out three or four <laughs> minutes here. And that's why I keep a pen, and paper. And I talk for a minute. I'm like, "Eh, nope, we're gonna edit all this out." So we'll just. Sorry about that. Oh no, it, I don't it, know it, what's it going to happen.
1: Since I got I have internet, but it won't. I don't know. I'm not a computer guy, so.
2: Nope, that's all right. It happens. I mean, I just roll with it, man. If I let this, if I let the little things like this bother me, <laughs> there's no way I could do this. <laughs> I just got to try to remember what where, where we left off. What, what were we talking about? We were that's talking good. about dogs, covers, hunting covers, specific ways. Yeah, and just kind of following the dogs around. I can work us back in on that. So yeah. All right. Are you good? You, you feel, you're I, good with I, the colon. I so. All right. My fingers crossed. All right, we'll just cut this back in at 3310. Sure. All right, a little bit of technical difficulties, but we're back. Jay's back in the house, and we're going to pick try to pick up right where we left off, which you would think that was less than three minutes ago, and I already kind of forgot. But I know we were talking about chasing dogs around cover, so that's an easy point to pick back up. But I kind of just follow my dog around, knowing that she knows more than I do, and let her lead me through the cover. I kind of give her a little direction, like, if I think we should be hunting swamp edges, I'll keep her towards the swamp edge. Or if I think we should be hunting more towards Aspen or anything along those lines. But for the most part, I kind of just let her tell me like, Hey, we're going this way. I smell birds.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. W- with me, you know, I kind of, I kind of, you know, I'll try to zero in on food sources for different times of the years. I think that's really your, your, your best option. As far as grouse hunting goes is, I mean, there's certain foods that you're, you're going to be in for, you know, I mean, you'll find them in acorns all year long. I know they gravitate them towards, towards them more later on in the year. But, I mean, it's just, I kind of, you know, I don't know. I guess I don't really know what I'm trying to say. But I, I try I try to go towards food sources and then let my dog figure it out. You know, I if, if you go where the foods are, you're going to find grouse. It doesn't matter where, where you know, what food it is. It's just kind of depending on what time of year it is, you know. I agree. I I mean,
2: food, I mean, if you can figure out what the food source is, what the grouse are currently feeding on, I mean, that's, that's a huge key. And I know people that bring a plastic bag with them every time they go so they can cut a bird. As soon as they drop that first bird, they cut the crop open right there in the field and they inspect. And then once they know, is it clover? Is it berries? Is it acorns? Is it, is it crickets? Is it bugs? I mean, once they figure that out, they know, like they, they, they completely change their game plan. Um, Another thing I do is, like once i kind of figure out the food source and like or like a different if i even if i can't necessarily pin the food source down per se say it's pretty wide spectrum for some reason i'll look at like age of timber i'm hunting them in like and look at my cover and i'll just focus on like different age groups of timber
1: right yeah i I, you know i think that the grouse are going to be in um, the best food they can get at at the time during the season with the that has the best adjacent cover um but you know as far as the food sources go like you know i'll you know I, I do the. you know I, I used to open up the crop a lot but yeah now i'll i'm like all right i'm gonna go hunt acorns today and i'll go and hunt acorns and i'll open up the crop and oh it's full of wintergreen leaves or, or something <laughs> like that you know what i mean so when i think i got figure it figured out i mean i don't know I, I don't i'm just getting lucky really is all I'm doing, <laughs> yeah. I think. it's good it, i mean
2: you've got so much more grouse hunting experience than i do i mean you grew up with it and i love the fact you, i like i feel like i'm not far behind you in certain ways because i'm like when I'm out there hunting, it's like sometimes I'm like, I feel like this is more dumb luck than actually any type of knowledge
1: <laughs> I have. Yeah, I, it really, that's, I mean, like I said, it's, it's you, you stay making an educated guess every time you go out there. For me, anyway, I don't want to, I know there's going to be a few guys out there like, I right, know what I'm doing, this guy must be an idiot. But for me, I'm, I just make an educated guess. I go out there, I use all the information I have available, and sometimes I get into birds and sometimes I don't sometimes i'll i'll get lucky and hit one of the ones i get into but
2: and that's the best part about the luck right there i mean they are such a fast little they're such a fast little bird to hit and the way they can maneuver through trees like a little fighter jet it just blows my mind that they that when they when they rock it off and they take off that i haven't seen one whack a prime branch or something yet like I, i've never <laughs> seen it
1: <laughs> right yeah uh it's it's you know it's crazy it's that's part of part of the reason why it's so rewarding when you actually, you know, when you finally get one. After you miss four or five, and then you finally, you know, when it all comes together and you hit one, and that's what that's you know that's what makes grouse hunting so great. But it's it's just crazy, you know. You know, when you take a lot of when people that haven't hunted them out for the first time, they, you know, man, I don't know about you, but man, I, so many people that see them for the first time, they. I mean, you got to tell them that, man, you're going to have to start shooting at these birds regardless <laughs> if you see them or not. You know what I mean?
2: I, I, I know exactly what you mean. Like, I feel like they're almost like awestruck. Like they see it flush and it's like, like all they see is fleeting glimpses of this bird. And it's just like, you're going to have to shoot. And they're like, shoot at what? I'm like that shadow. I mean, it's kind of a shadow. I mean, yeah. you might not get a better sight picture than that. And that's right. kind of why I don't, I mean, I've taken a lot of people out grouse hunting that I've never grouse hunted before, but it's not normally where i start up. i normally started with woodcock yeah i mean woodcock. yeah you know
1: absolutely yeah they, um go ahead no I, I mean i i guide i'm a grouse hunting guide during you know the whole regular season and okay um man a lot of the people they, they you know they watch a lot of birds fly away before they finally realize like oh man you know that's the best look i'm gonna get when get at when i'm gonna have to start shooting and but uh you know as far as woodcock goes that's really that's the way to start somebody off and you know as far as hunting hunting grouse is you know woodcock they handle better for the dogs they you know they they usually give you a better shot um they hold better that, i mean i, mean, I think a lot
2: of that better they hold better, which allows you to get closer, get people in better positions. They don't spook mm-hmm. as easily. Like, they, I mean, you can pressure a woodcock a lot more with getting people walked up closer to the bird. They seem to fly different. I think the best I heard it is they fly more like a helicopter where they go up than out, where a grouse just is like, they'll stay low and fast and weave, whereas a woodcock, I, I mean, yeah, you'll get those the ones that fly like a little squirter here and there, but a lot of times they just pop straight up before they head out. It's just it's almost feels like it's more controlled chaos than the ultra chaos of grouse hunting.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. They're definitely more predictable.
2: So with guiding, how, how has that experience been? I mean, but not like, not necessarily like people experience, but like, like the working of other people, like over your dogs, like was that hard to get over at first? Like, especially in like the chaos of the grouse woods.
1: Yeah. Honestly, at first I really didn't know what to expect. And- uh, I've been doing it for seven years now and, um, uh, man, it grew from something that kind of, yeah, I wanted to try, um, but I was anxious about it. To Something that really, you know, man, I just love, I love being able to do it. Um, I, I like being out there without a gun and just following my dogs and, you know, helping out other people. Um, and just, you know, some of these experiences for people, you know, they'll, they drive up from, you know, a couple of states away uh, where, you know, they've, and a lot of the people I've, you know, I've never even seen a grouse before and um, man, it's, just, it's to see how excited they get. And um, it's really, you it's, it's really a great experience. Like I said, when I first got into it, I really, you know, I wasn't really sure what to think about it, but the more I got into it and I've kind of been able to select some of my clients more than I've. Are, are more are in it for the right reasons you know i have, I still get you know you get a few people there you know they they figure they're going out with a guy they are going to be able to shoot a limited grouse and in, in a couple hours you know what i mean and those are the guys that you know you can pick them out right away right when they walk out of the truck but most for the most part my clients are just great you know they they know that they're probably you know they might not get a bird all day long um but what sure. they do is, you know a lot of my clients come back you know for four or five years now and just um, it's really a great Great friendships I've uh, developed over the years doing this and um, it's, the, the grouse woods is a great place to bond with people uh, as far as that goes
2: I agree there is something like special about the grouse woods and I, I've said this on the show before but um, when I'm out grouse hunting or woodcock hunting I'm completely immersed in that moment right yep. like nothing nothing else matters I'm watching the dogs I'm watching I'm watching the woods, everything just I'm in that moment. Like like deer hunting sitting in a tree stand, I think about everything. Like it's solitude. And that's a great way to place to reflect. I have nothing wrong with that. Duck hunting's really social for me. I mean, I don't like duck hunting alone because it's a it's a super social thing for me. It's joking around, drinking coffee, like acting like fools in the duck blind. But like when it's and but upland hunting is such a it's such an immersion, exp- immersion experience where it's like, that's when I'm out in those grouse hoods, it's me, it's the dog, it's that moment, and it's nothing else.
1: Right, absolutely. It's uh, Man, when the bell, you know, that brief window, you know, when the bell stops and then you're walking in for the flush, there's just, that can't be beat, man. There's nothing in the world better for me
2: i agree and it's nice to know you're a bell guy i feel like so many people have gone away from the bell and man i just love the sound of a bell (laughs) there you know
1: i uh i i I run beepers and bells um uh for a while i was just running a beeper on silent mode only and you know just you know enjoying the silence when i was out there but um an older guy i hunted with recently he he reminded me of the uh the nostalgia of, of a bell and what it can bring to the woods so i I got my bells back out. Now I, I run my bells again in, in most circumstances. And, uh, you know, I, that's, I, yeah, I run, so I run a, a bell with a, a beeper in point only mode. So I don't, I don't have to listen to the, the beeper all, all, you know, until the dog goes on point. I'm Sure. I don't, you know, I, it's, you know, it just sounds unnatural in the woods having to hear a beep every minute or two. And I also, you know, as far as a lot of my friends run on GPS and stuff like that, I don't, I haven't found it necessary for my dogs, but, um, man, it seems like, you know, no offense to people running GPS, but a lot of the, you know, a GPS is great for the guy that's got the GPS in his hand, but it's not doing, right. doing the guy that's walking in the woods very much good. You're like, all right, my dog's not going 120 yards to the Northwest, you know? Um, so, and, and, you know, they spend a lot of time looking at that in GPS too, but I like, I like following the bell and then waiting, waiting for it to stop. And then, i hold it on the
2: beeper sure and i'm i don't run the beeper but i'm kind of similar like that's like i run a gps but i mm-hmm. listen to the bell and if and my griff hunts close griffs are griffs are known to be a close hunting dog in the grouse woods yeah. that's kind of why i got it because i was so used to hunting over a flusher i just loved always being able to see my dog like i just right. it's what i'm used to so my griff really doesn't range much more than 60 yards is long for her that's a really long range for her and at 60 we know you can't even see her anymore right, right. i mean in the grouse woods at 60 that's like that's, now yeah. i'm really hit, like that's far it really is right. but for the most part she's ranging 40 to 50 yards and a lot of times i get a lot of good glimpses of her i can't see her 100 percent of the time mm. but if i can't like that's kind of like instead of using the beeper that's when i'll use the gps like i'll take it like i'll be like okay the bell was over here i'll take a quick look down at it and see like Okay, she's twenty more yards this way. So, and by the time I get like close enough, then I can see like the orange collar on her or something. But I know exactly what you mean. Like I can't just like I can't stare at my phone and be like, "Where's my dog?" Like that's not what that's not what I want. I forgot a bell and a quick weekend trip. I forgot my bell. I forgot my entire dog training bag. All I had was just my regular old like yard collar on me. Sure. And I'm like, oh boy, this is gonna. (laughs) And I hunted for two hours. I'm like, I can't do it. I right. drove around every store in the closest town until I found some sort of bell that would work. I'm like, it just felt too wrong. Like, it just, right. like, I felt like I trust my dog. She's never ran away. Like it wasn't the fact that I didn't have the Jeep. It was just that I had no way of locating her at all. And if she does push out past 40 yards, but she will, I have no idea where she is anymore. And then if she goes on point, I don't want to call her off a of point. Cause now it's like, but now I'm, now I'm trying to, like, scold her for doing what she's supposed to do. I'm like, it was just turning into a
1: bad situation really quick. Sure. Yeah, it's all about what you're comfortable with, you know. Even, you know, I got a lot of friends with the – I mean, almost everybody uses GPS now except, except for me. And, you know, if I got one and used it, I'd probably – I can be on another podcast in a week from now talking about how great they are. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, I always use the bell. And then, man, I remember when my grandpa – Got you know, we sent away and got the fir- one of the first beeper collars I ever saw. And this thing was crazy compared to what they are now. This thing looked like a like a beer can milk road through the dog's collar. And uh that thing took about fifteen minutes to get going, you know, and yeah, know it only uh, works about half the time, but sure. Um now they've you know, and like I said, I run them my silent. I only use them to you know, when I'm hunting with clients or other people, um it's a lot easier to tell them, all right. You know, when the, you know, when the beeper collar starts beeping, walk that way. Then to be like, all right, you know, I got a dog on point 110 yards to the west. And, right. you know, I felt, I find that it's a lot easier to get in um, good position, um, especially for grouse. When you when you can be right next to the dog and not see it, it's, it's really, a, and position is really important for shots. Uh, oh, to get, get a good shot. And I think that the beeper really helps like that. And I've got a lot of, you know, friends now that even that run GPS collars that'll run a beeper with, you know, on point only mode just for that reason. that it's a lot easier just to start walking towards the beep than it is to look on your phone or your, your unit. And, you know, especially when you're trying to get other people in on the point. too. Sure. So no, that... One thing when it's just you, but when you, you know, like I said, if I'm following a guy that's got a GPS and he's got a dog on point, I don't, you know, I'm, all I'm doing is following him at that point. And right, if you're following another guy to a point, you're not going to get much shooting in when you're going walking towards your grouse dog.
2: For for the grouse, I mean, you bring up a valid, like a super valid point I never even thought of. Cause I cha- I follow that bell around and most times I don't need to look at my GPS, but I'd say it's probably 50, 50. Cause sometimes I, she is far enough out there where it's, I mm-hmm. do need to look at that. Um, But you bring up a valid point. I mean, following the sound of a beeper in allows you to keep your eyes up, especially if she's on point and your pressure bumps that bird, at least yep. you're looking in the right general direction and you might actually get a shot opportunity.
1: Yep. Yeah. You know, and like I said, there's an. that's just what I do. There's a lot of other, You know, a lot of people are probably right. scratching their heads right now thinking I'm an idiot, but that's what's worked for me. Well, you,
2: everyone makes the argument, right? Bells scare Bells girls get used to bells and bells like they they scare birds or beeper mm-hmm. scare birds and oh you should just run 100% silent on a GPS collar and I know people that are successful doing that and their confidence levels high enough that they can it's just I I, I miss the sound of that bell and maybe that's because it's just what I started with because the person that mentored me when I was in my 20s my best friend's dad they, he ran a bell. And that was before, you know, like he'd been grouse something forever before collars were even a thing, and they just
1: ran bells. You know, I've uh, I heard that argument, and I kind of I, I believed it for a while. You know, where, that's why I, for a while I was running my dogs with nothing, uh, no bells or anything, and beepers only during point only on point only mode. And then once the dog would beep, and I located him. I turned the beeper right off. But the, you know, then I gradually once I started reintroducing the bell and stuff back, and I found that it really for me anyway it had no little to no effect on the birds at all i mean i it's i think a lot of these people have these little tricks and stuff they they think work and stuff like that and, and i think that's great i mean i've got them and you know, let, let, you know there's just a hundred ways to do it and uh man I, I just i personally i don't i don't think it really makes that much of a difference as far as the, the you know the the, the bell and whatever you know unnerving the birds um I think it's more important to kind of keep your mouth shut when you're going through the woods than it is, you know, as far as like having the bell the bell going.
2: Sure, um yelling at the dogs probably more yeah. detrimental than that's, than yeah, the man. bell ever will be.
1: And, and not and not only is it you know make grouse finish, it's like man, there's nothing more annoying than walking through the woods and somebody that's talking to you about what you're going to eat for lunch the whole time. <laughs> you know, when you're walking to a point, it's just <laughs> you know.
2: I've never had to experience that because I've never guided different, like different random people. Right. And the friends, like the friends I hunt with, we, we know what we got, we know what we're doing and the people I've introduced have been so excited about going with, because they, they, they've never thought about hiring a guide or they can't afford to hire a guide or it's nothing they've really wanted to pursue other than like a one or two time thing, like just to experience it, that when the dog's on point, like they're super focused on that. But, i i can see that though i can just see some person like just being like so nonchalant being like oh i can't wait to get that turkey sandwich when we get back <laughs> to the truck oh, yeah, as you're yeah. walking but in they're, on
1: they're, a point it happens all the time <laughs> Yep. they'll talk about the crazy stuff and you're walking in and you know the dogs have point right over here and they're, they're talking about what what cartoons they watched yesterday <laughs> that's
2: amazing and Maybe maybe that's their way to process all the excitement. I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I guess like I said though earlier, like when I'm in the Grosswoods, I'm just focused in that moment. And that's me. And I think that's kind of like the people I surround myself with, though, who have a really similar style to me. And the reason that we do this is really similar. And maybe that's why I don't experience that very much because I've surrounded like because I don't guide, I don't take clients out. I just take friends out and I take like acquaintances I've met either through online resources or through like a friend of a friend that wants to try it. And we're all really similar. So that's probably why I haven't had it. That's probably why I haven't experienced the random thoughts walking into a gross point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you know, you never know what's running, running through somebody's brain, but uh, like, you know for the most part, it's great, but you know there's some people out there that just like, just like to talk. Sure. I'm. Uh, I'm, I'm a, a. If you know me in real life, I'm a pretty quiet guy. Um, and until you, you know, you get me talking about bird hunting and put a grip in my hand, then you can't shut me up. But, uh, <laughs> you know,
2: I. You know, you would think for me, like being like a host of a podcast, I'd be like this super outgoing, like. Just walk up, talk to anybody in the woods type. Of, and I'm not. I'm I'm really not. Um, I stumbled into this because I was a co-host way back on like some of the live shows. It was over a year ago. Now and they're like, hey, a lot of people like the episodes. Do your own thing. I'm like, what? Like, you want me? Like, no, I don't like I can't do this by myself. Like, and it's actually really made me grow and like just randomly reach out and like, like, I never probably would have reached out to you before and been like, hey, let's talk about birds. Let's like. Birds, dogs, like it's easy to talk about. It really is when you love it so much. But like if you would just randomly see me like grouse hunting, like I might say like 15 words, be like, Hey, how's your hunt going? Yeah, good, good deal. Like good looking dogs, and like I'm gonna keep going <laughs> on my way. Like, yeah. I'm not gonna be like, Hey, let's hunt together. No, that's yeah. never gonna come up. I mean,
1: I'm I can be definitely like, relate <laughs> to that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> even even staying at campgrounds, I've talked to like other grouse hunters and we'll talk real briefly and it kind of ends after just a quick brief conversation and it's not like i'm trying to be secretive i'm just not actually that outgoing of a person
1: yeah well yeah you know, i made the made the comment before where you know i love i love talking to other grouse hunters but not during grouse season i i, I don't want you know if i'm out having a bad morning i don't want somebody to come along and be like oh yeah i just limited out in a half hour and you know i just how are you having a good day good good for you me too all right yeah. good luck buddy.
2: right exactly how are you doing oh yeah. we've got th- we've got we've had 15 points and we've got five birds down oh great i've got three <laughs> points and i haven't taken a shot yet wonderful yes yeah. <laughs> because i'm never on the other side of that conversation well i think only maybe a couple of times i have been
1: but never like where it's like people are like really you're doing that good i've never been that guy before well for the most part, they're, I mean, from my experiences, it doesn't matter how good you tell them you're doing. If you talk to somebody else, they're gonna they're gonna figure out a way to turn it so they're doing better than than you did. So, it's uh, I I just assume keep it to a you know a kind of a you know good luck kind of a thing. Keep on, and keep I keep,
2: on. and that's that's kind of what I do. I mean, at most I'm like, hey, how the dog's doing? Like most most of my questions are dog related when I randomly see yeah. something like, how the dog's hunting today? Ah! Yeah she's not having a great day or, I mean, and I'll
1: be honest about it. Be like, eh, she's, she's not, she's not on her game today, but we're still out here having fun. Yep, And that's the way, I mean, that's the way it is with most of the hunters, you know, now, you know, every once in a while, you'll run into a guy like that just won't just wants to talk about everything. You know what I mean? And sit down and talk about his day and your day. And you don't, you know, you don't know the guy from Adam, but he wants to tell you that he shot 80 grouse last year and this and that and another thing and those those are the guys i really that really make me want to kind of like crawl underneath the table when when the conversation gets going but for the most part for the most people i talk to us you know well all right well good luck right but
2: and like with like the, the people i hunt with i mean it's kind of funny like the like I do, we do a grouse camp every year where we camp and stuff like that and we'll recap the day but most of our conversation literally has nothing to do with grouse hunting anymore yes. like in the grouse like in the grouse woods yeah yeah, yeah. right yeah. after like like driving to a spot driving away from a spot or like driving to a spot we're talking about different covers like do we want to hunt here we'll hunt there looking at maps still like trying to figure out what we want to do And then we hunt it afterwards we kind of like recap like oh we found birds in this cover where's the next cover like that like but then after the hunt it's kind of like oh let's talk about what else we've done all year right I mean
1: absolutely yeah you know I have a grouse camp that I you know the last few years I've been coming up to Wisconsin hunt with some of my friends and it kind of rotates but man it's like you got you got to have that off switch you know you, you can't be all grouse all the time you, no matter how hardcore you try to portray yourself it's you can't be you know you got to have that off switch especially at a camp when you know when you're with other like minded people, and you know, you know, everybody loves to hunt, but you know, you got to talk about your kids and your family, and cartoons and cheeseburgers for some of the time you're out there, right?
2: I agree 100%. I mean, as I, we all love grouse hunting, I mean, we probably love grouse hunting too much, and I think that kind of mutual respect's kind of like, yeah, we could talk about this all night, but we're going to be talking about the same thing over and over, and we all have different experiences but we all share a lot of experiences even if we haven't hunted together right like we've all had those experiences of well us that hunt over pointing dogs have watched have actually like the dogs work perfect it's got that great point it's been steady to the shot you actually connected. it's got that good mark and retrieve like those moments are amazing and you want to share them but at the same time like you have to like roll it back a little and say hey like this is grouse camp it's more than that like it's camaraderie it's a shared experience of more than just hunting it's a blending of all of us together like uh, around a passion that's more than just that
1: and i you know honestly it's i'm I'm glad you brought that up like i you know throughout the season with my guiding and my other things i have you know a few different grouse camps i'm fortunate to go to and honestly that's my one of my favorite aspects about this thing is just sitting around the, the campfire when you're getting done hunting and talking about this kind of stuff with your friends, or not talking about grouse hunting, just being there. Um, but still,
0: hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com.
1: kind of you know immersed in in the whole thing i don't know if that makes sense or not but
2: no it makes perfect sense because it's it. that's why you're there and you're yeah. all excited to be there to hunt grouse and yeah there's a lot of but there's a lot of like other experiences like cooking dinner right like yep. just as simple as like cooking dinner or drink or like someone brought a, a rare bottle of bourbon or whiskey or something and yeah they're talking about like oh i really like this beer try this beer and there's so much more to it and No, we're not all alcoholics. I'm just, (laughs) (laughs) but there's so much more to that experience. And really that's kind of what I try to like my, my show be about. It's like, it's try to like be that same experience of we're going to talk birds. We're going to talk like, like what's your favorite dish even at grouse camp? And we didn't get there, but it's like (laughs) the whole, like, it's like, I try to make my show kind of replicate that experience of what we all feel like sitting around a fire after a hunt just like recapping like going back over like how our seasons have kind of been but like just like our life in general because that's really what it is.
1: Yeah absolutely I agree 100% that's you know like I said that's one of my favorite aspects of the season is going to different grouse camps and getting to talk with different people about different things and you know it doesn't have to be about hunting because we, you know we all know that's on the back of our mind but you know around the campfire that's what tomorrow is for and you can talk about anything else you're sitting, in the, you know, next to the campfire. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's great. But as far as my favorite dish goes, though, to bring that up, man, <laughs> we got a pretty good macaroni and cheese dish that comes, comes out there in Grouse Camp. And uh, man,
2: I give you credit. Cause I do a smoked macaroni and cheese like around oh, the man. holidays. And my kitchen is a disaster every time I'm done. Cause I mean, it's hundred percent from scratch with heavy cream and everything else. Like it's, and like, it's, it's a long process. I couldn't imagine doing that at Krause camp. So I give you guys credits for that. My, my,
1: my, my wife actually makes this macaroni and cheese ahead of time, and I bring it in. And then um, one of my other friends, he makes this chili out of whatever elk or deer he he shoots that year. And we, we combine the two. and, And well, the first night we have the macaroni and cheese and the second night we have the chili and then the consecutive nights we have, what we call a chili mac, which is the macaroni and cheese mixed with the chili.
2: That's and awesome.
1: That's, that's uh, that's what we really look forward to. That's
2: that's awesome. Our 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 tra- our running camp tradition for the past two or three years now for a meal for us is I've been bringing my smoker with and we've been smoking and I've been smoking brats for like four hours, like oh, a yeah. really that's low, great. good smoke, and then we bring a skillet or like a blackstone with. Mm-hmm. And we chop up a bunch of onions and peppers and mushrooms and everything. And then we, we get all that going and then mix all like the um, smoked brats. We slice them and throw it all in there into like this big, I don't even know what you'd call it. Like it's just this big meat and pepper and veggie thing on the skillet, which is all seasoned and greasy and oily. And it, it's pretty darn amazing. Yeah,
1: That's yeah. That kind of stuff's great, man. You need that kind of stuff, you know, around the grouse camp. It was all, everything was all grouse and dogs and guns all the time. And, I don't know. It'd be pretty cool, but it'd get it get boring after after a few years, I think. I
2: think it would just get to be a little, little not, over
1: the top, little yeah. and like yeah, it
2: would just be too much. of the, I mean, you only can have so many new stories around dogs, and I mean, there's got there's and that's like what we've already said. Like that's the great thing about camp. Like last camp, we went up fishing. Like we got done cooking dinner, and we were sitting right on the lake. I brought my canoe, and all of a sudden, it's ten thirty at night. We're like let's go see if we can find some walleyes. And we caught, I caught a 19 inch walleye. You're allowed one over 18. I'm like,
1: Hey, we just got a midnight snack and we actually (laughs) went back and filleted it and cooked it on the fire right away. That's awesome. you know what, you'll, you'll remember that for the rest of your life.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, we probably shouldn't have been out there after a couple of beverages, (laughs) but we were, and it was amazing. I mean, it was just, it was just this great experience. And it's funny because we were out there and we had like, we, we fished, my buddy and I fished. So it's not like we don't know what we're doing, but we've never been on this lake before. We're just throwing random lures. We have no electronics. We don't even know what the depth is. And like my third cast in, he turns around. Cause like I said, we had a couple cocktails. He's like, are you even gonna try to catch a fish? And he just like joking around, like, are you even gonna try? The next cast I was hooked up with that walleye. I'm like fishing. <laughs> he goes, quit lying. And he looks back and sees the rods bent over. He goes, you really have a fish, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and we're awesome. in this, and are in this canoe, so it's kind of tight quarters. But we're we're so I'm, I'm a big paddle guy, so it's no big deal for me. And error him, but so I bring it up to him, and he unhooks it. I'm like, that's a good walleye. That's like over the slot, and I'm allowed one. And he goes, I'm like, do we want to keep just one fish? He throws it at the bottom of the canoe. He goes, it's a snack. <laughs> <laughs> it was just and that's kind of what our grouse camp is. I mean, and that's what I love about it because it's not just like the dogs and and the hunt. Oh, yeah. It's like it's just an entire immersion experience, like grouse hunting in itself. And it's
1: I don't know yeah, how to I, I don't even I know agree. how to portray it in words. Yeah, I mean, I have a uh, my grouse camp. One, you know, I've been mean, we've had it for about seven years now, and I could throw a couple of the guys under the bus with some with some stories, but man, it's the stories that. You know, that's what we talk about next year at, the next year at camp is what this asshole <laughs> did when right? he was, you know in, in yeah. the sun at night rather than, you know, the, the you know, there's always the you know, the birds and the dogs and stuff like that, but um it's cool to be able to um introduce a couple other elements to to I, the the whole experience, you know.
2: Right and, and... I, we touched light, but I mean, cooking is a huge experience part of it too. Yeah. Like cooking your shared meals, sitting around, sitting around the campfire. And then like you said, you've had seven years. We are on our 12th year, but my buddy and I are doing that camp and all those, like, as you're sitting around cooking dinner, like, and that's the best part. Like it's the shared experiences and memories. And all of a sudden you randomly remember something from like year five. Like, do you remember when this happened? And yeah. it was hilarious at the time. You kind of forgot about it. and all of a sudden It's like,
1: just as funny as when it happened. Yeah, absolutely. Camp, the camp experience for me is is fantastic. I've I've recently, you know, I grew up um, when I was a kid. You know, one of my fondest memories about hunting was my grandpa's deer camp. You know, not to get off the subject of grouse hunting, um, but I remember they had my my grandpa and all my uncles and everybody had this this great deer camp here in Michigan. And um, the spot where they had the camp is um, it got cut down. And then when it regenerated, um, there's no spot to camp there anymore. Sure. But um, I still, I recently, I don't deer hunt a lot, but me and one of my grouse hunting buddies have went back, and recently started um, having a deer camp again, in the closest spot near, uh, you know the old spot where my grandpa's camp used to be. And man, it just brings back so many memories of me when I was a kid. Just like before I was even old to hunt, I'd walk out to the, you know, there's a corner there with in the trail trails all met and you know be looking down the trail waiting for one of my uncles to get back and seeing him just dragging a buck or not with him and stuff like that and uh it's you know it's memories like that that you make with with your friends you know especially at camps you know that really stick with you for your entire life i think anyway
2: I, I agree hundred percent I mean deer camp's a big one i mean lots of people have deer camps we had a deer camp for a long time and we keep talking about bringing it back and we really should just because it is that experience and my friend's son is getting to the age where he's going to want to start coming and and that's a conversation him and I have a lot actually is we don't like we need to get on this and we need to get a deer camp set up just for the fact that we don't want him to not have that same experience that 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 we were able to have like that is such a like he's gonna yeah. start coming to Grouse Camp as well, but those camp experiences and Grouse Camp and Deer Camp are both magical, but they're both completely different. Like yeah. at least for us, they've been like, like the camaraderie. It's like it's the same camaraderie, but it's around a different basis, which what makes the camps have a completely different feel. Both completely magical in their own right. And
1: yeah, absolutely. As we,
2: and as we talk about that, I don't have kids, but I take kids out hunting, and I have nephews, I have nieces and I don't want them to not be able to see that these, that like experience that, that camp. Cause that it's just, there's something so magical about it, especially when like everything gels with like that group of people. And it seems like that's how camps like they filter people in and out sometimes, but it's, it's really, when you get that good crew together, which kind of just seems to happen. Like that's when the magic really can happen.
1: Yeah. You know, I agree with her. Um, you know, I, Grouse hunting is, you know, my love, but some of my fondest memories are of, of deer hunting, you know, know, you, 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 I don't really do it that much, I just, that's where I look back on it, you know, when I was growing up, it seemed like, you know, you go, go up to the state land, and man, there's a deer camp on every corner, and now, man, you can drive, you can drive a long ways in between deer camps now up here in Michigan, I don't know how it is out in Wisconsin, but it's not the way it used to be, as far as, as far as that kind of culture goes. So this,
2: so that's actually one thing I've really been missing. We used to go up north, we used to go up north to where we grouse hunt in that same area is where we do our deer camp. And my friend's parents had rented a cabin up there. They used to stay at a lodge and then they rented a cabin from the lodge owner for years and they wanted building a house and moving up there permanently. So we were up there year after year after year with the same group of people. And it was amazing. Things kind of changed. My friend's friend, my friend's dad passed away. I got married, my father-in-law and my nieces all hunt on some private land down here. So that's kind of like changed things. But over the past few years, I'm like, I really miss that camp experience. And I actually had three friends come up and stay with me this year at my house. And it wasn't really deer camp, but it was, right? Because mm-hmm. we were up here for deer hunting and yeah, it was at my house. I didn't go anywhere, but we cooked dinner every night. We hung out, we talked, we laughed. And that's really what camp is, I mean, sure. when like... We're all up there to deer hunt, but it's that experience after the hunt or in the morning getting ready, like joking around, like my buddy and I've always woke up at 4.44 as a, as Escanaba in the moonlight is a little yep. thing towards that is a little thing like, cause that's the magic time to wake up. And they looked at me, they're like, why are you waking up at
1: 4.44? I'm like, you all need to get your priorities straight and watch some more <laughs> movies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you mentioned that it's one of my, uh, a friend of mine, our tradition, we recently started his on the night before deer camp or opening day in your camp we watch espionage in the moonlight that's hilarious (laughs) and it's those funny little
2: traditions that spawn that really make it even like make it so you really look forward to going to camp
1: yeah absolutely
2: but to, to like to actually answer your question i see a lot of deer hunters around my area I don't see a lot of people doing deer camp. I haven't been up North now in a few years, but I know when we started to kind of taper out, like the lodge wasn't having as many people as it used to. That's where my buddy grew up with his fathers from the seventies hunting through that lodge. The people that used to go out every, like they would hunt stands and then by Monday morning they were doing drives. The drives kind of dried up. Like there wasn't like 10 people walking through the woods anymore doing these drives. Like I would agree a lot of things have changed and, well, there's still a lot of hunters, I feel like either they're not doing drives or they're not doing camps anymore. Like, I feel like kind of some of those traditions are being lost. Yeah. You know,
1: here in Michigan, the geography is a little bit different than I've, I've experienced out in Wisconsin or Minnesota or anything. But so in, in Michigan, if you're not familiar with the state, um, you know, up north, you know, north of, you know, the northern U, lower in the UP, it's that's all, the, you know, your wooded area um, and your forests and stuff like that the southern part of the state is all your agriculture and when i was growing up everybody was deer hunting up in the you know the north woods and that and that's just where you deer hunted but now if you want to get a big buck everybody knows you got to go down and hunt agriculture in southern michigan and i think that's kind of where our culture took a turn as you know nobody's got you know there's still a lot of people go north don't get me wrong but a lot of people are just staying down you know down here but going to their uncle's farm or something like that and and they got a lot better chance of getting a lot bigger buck and seeing a lot more deer. And, and that's another thing is just, there's just a lot more deer now than there used to, used to be. You, Agreed. Know, you don't have to drive anywhere to go go find them.
2: I I, I And that, it's the same in Wisconsin too. Cause we, when we've, that's actually been a, a revolving point of our conversation to restart deer camp. Are we going there to shoot deer? Or are we going there for camp because we have a much better chance of shooting a deer down yeah. here where we live.
1: And that's um, exactly like, it too. Yeah.
2: I mean, there's so many different factors that play into that from deer population to even like in those big woods, scent control is huge because there isn't a lot of people. There isn't a lot of scent intrusion or that, whereas down here in the farmland, even the public adjacent to farmland, there's a lot more people. There's a lot more wood burners. There's a lot more just scents all the way around where. It's easier to see more. I, I truly think it's easier to see more deer just because you don't have to be as conscious of like your scent and everything else. Right? And yeah, they're just more, a lot more they're,
1: variables. Right. So you're hunting deer that people push around rather than deer that you have to use your own stealth and woodcraft to to get and and you know even see. Right. It's
2: it's and then I feel like because of that the deer can take more pressure in these Southern areas before they completely go into nocturnal lockdown patterns where I feel like in those big woods of the North where they don't have a lot of people other than the random grouse hunters walking through occasionally. Like I really feel like that pressure of opening morning and all those people in the woods just instantly shifts the patterns of those deer up
1: there. Oh yeah, I mean, my grandpa, he always used to hunt Man, his favorite time of the day would be like around lunchtime when everybody else was getting up to go to you know, go back and get lunch. He'd, you know, he'd wait there and wait right until, every, you know, that's how he gets his buck every year. Now, you know, it's embarrassing for me. I'll hunt up there for, you know, a couple of days and go home without a deer. And my wife would be like, well, how do you do? I'm like, well, I saw one or two. I'm like, oh, my buddy, you know, my brother shot a 12 point in his backyard, you know, on opening morning. And I'm like, well. Man, I don't know what to tell you about that. <laughs> it's
2: completely different. So it's funny that it's real similar in Michigan though, too. I mean, it's just that agriculture versus the north woods and and there's just bigger deer when they can feed on corn and alfalfa and hay all day yeah, long, right? Absolutely. They're not chewing on pine brows. And now if you have a bumper acorn crop, you can get some good size buck up there, but for the most part, they're chewing on pine brows.
1: <laughs> yeah. They're scraping by, yeah.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> So it, it's real interesting that, that Michigan's kind of seen that same thing where people have stopped. Nest, like And like you said, people still go up north, but I feel like you are right in the fact that people are staying farther south and focusing on those, either trying to get permission, hunting f- friends' land or public land down south rather than making that drive up north.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're really serious about getting a big buck, it'd be foolish to drive up north and hunt in the big woods. I mean, when you can, I mean... Most times you are hunting down south, you're hunting these deer where people know where they're at. They know right? for the most part where they're, you know, it's, and, and they have a lot better food. So they got better, you know, better. I mean, it, really it's if you want a big buck, but if you want, you know, the whole camp experience, which I like, and it seems like you like, I mean, I, I just like going up north and hunting the big woods.
2: And that's, that's exactly what we're trying to figure out. Cause we, we miss that camp experience. But we want to make sure like the the young, like Steve's son and the young, like the inexperienced people actually have a good opportunity to shoot a deer. Because if you sit up, like I can I can go up and I can enjoy it just because of the camp, right? Because I enjoy yeah. camp right. so much, but I've shot deer. I've seen deer right. for a new hunter if, if they're up there because they want to experience deer hunting and don't really – aren't necessarily mature enough in their hunting yet to realize how special it yeah, really is. Sure. You got to keep them interested. And that's where we keep rolling back and forth. We're like, yeah. do we really want to subject him to sitting in the woods up there and not and barely seeing deer? Or Do we yeah. bring them out down here? So that's why I we're going to start with grouse camp.
1: Yeah, I guess it's kind of like hunting, you know, bringing a young hunter in on woodcock or grouse, you know? Mm-hmm.
2: The nice thing. And, th- and that's, that's where our conversations led is the nice thing is like with grouse and Woodcock is even if you're not seeing birds, you get to watch the dogs and the yeah. dogs. I mean, especially like younger kids I've taken out or even like after college age kids that I've taken out, like they've all just been like the dog, like they're just so amazed by watching the dog work. And Thankfully I've found birds every time I've, I've taken people out, I've taken them to what I've known would to be relatively productive covers that I'm willing to let go at the same time, you know, because <laughs> you don't know if they're going to come back to them or not. So you have to be willing to let go of some of these special places, but you want to take them to a place where, you know, that's going to be somewhat productive. So thankfully they have had an opportunity at birds, but even if they didn't, like at the end of the day, when we're talking, the only thing they're talking about most of the time
1: is the dogs. Yeah. Well, the dogs are really the stars of the show, you know, like, I, you know, you already said, you know, and I feel the same way that there's, I wouldn't have any interest in going out there and, and hunting birds if it wasn't for the dogs. I mean, I'd be hunting, I'd be hunting something else, you know.
2: Agreed. 100%. And it's those dogs that are, are why I have such an interest too, because I, the occasional when I do decide to like, oh, let's go jump in a tree stand for archery hunting, which I didn't even do it all this year. Because every time I do it, I feel guilty because my dog is sitting at home. <laughs> And I'm like, I could be running my dog. And my dog loves this more than I even do. Cause that's what she, like, she loves it. Like she loves to run those woods and find those birds. And it's like, I can't sit in this tree. I can't do this. Like, like during the gun season, it's easy. Cause I don't want her out in that craziness anyway. So I, that's, right, that, to right. me, that's asking for disaster, but it's like for during archery, like that's prime time grouse hunting. Like there's oh, yeah. there's no way there's, I can't, No, nope. I've completely given up archery hunting because I feel guilty because I just love my, like, it's the dog.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you know, I I used to go hunt a little bit when I was younger, but for the most part, I, I mean, I quit real quick when I really got started getting into the dog, you know, bird, bird hunting with dogs. It's, it's, it's a weird feeling
2: to be sitting in a tree knowing you could be like watching woods thinking I could be walking through these right now. Look with my dog. And you know what? I'd much rather be with my dog than by myself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's really similar though. I mean, all that hunting in itself, it's all, it's really, it, you can, you know, when you're sitting up in a tree stand and you hear that first like branch cracking, like, oh, there's a deer coming in and that excitement to when your dog starts to slow down and you know it's starting to work a bird. It's that anticipation of what's it going to be? Where's it going to come out at? Am I going to get a shot? you know, and that's, for me, that's really what does it, you know, it's just the anticipation after, after the anticipation, there's not really much left,
2: you know? Right. Right. I And you're, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, it is that in anticipation, like when your heart starts to get racing, cause it's like, Oh, like, 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 especially like when you said like your dog starts to slow down or like we can, like when you hunt over your dog long enough, you can start to read your dogs and all dog owners know when their dogs are starting to get birdie. I've seen people ask that question before, like, how do you know when your dog's getting birdie? Just watch your dog. Your dog's going to tell you to be on. If you can see your dog, you're going to know, like your dog's demeanor is going to change and it gets birdie enough. You're going to notice it right away. Like when that, when your dog starts to get birdie, it's like, all right, like this is gonna, like this is gonna. I hope it's not a rabbit. That's my first thought. I hope it's not a rabbit. <laughs>
1: yeah. And then
2: once, like, once I figure out, like, because I can now tell the difference when she's on a rabbit compared to a bird. Yeah. She's always more excited on a rabbit because I don't know what it is with her. She'd rather chase fur. But, <laughs> um, but even like with deer hunting, like that first break. Now, is it going to be a? Is it going to be a deer I want to shoot? And then that that anticipation, like when you see that deer and like you don't have a shot. And then when you decide, like that's a shooter like it's a whole nother level of anticipation like it's 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 completely different because then that's like once you decide like this is a shooter now it's like everything gets like amped up another level it's like yeah wow and and it's that anticipation it's that i don't want to call it a rush but it's like that whole like that general experience of like everything trying to come together and like your mind's racing your heart starts to go it's it's just something that you can't describe
1: yeah I, you know and it, it, i agree 100 and i you know the same thing still happens to me with grouse like i can i can shoot sporty clays and woodcock and pheasants and everything else and you know when a, a grouse goes up i couldn't tell you what happened I, I can't tell you where my mind's at like if you if somebody asked me like oh how do you get that you know i i can't remember how i shot that grouse. you know what i mean right it's like I don't you know i don't i can't i can't remember if you asked me about the last 10 grouse i shot i couldn't remember what they what what they looked like in between the time the dog pointed them and the time that you know i picked them up and looking at them after the, the dog retrieved them you know what i mean and it's just I know,
2: I know exactly what you mean and that's why i'm happy i don't hunt in any areas where because spruce we can't hunt spruce in wisconsin but we do have spruce in the northwest corner Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think I could hunt around there. If like if there's a co-mingled habitat of grouse and spruce, I couldn't do it. Because sure. when that's when that grouse flies, like I, I agree. Like my mind, like I maybe subconsciously I recognize that it's a grouse because I've seen enough go to flight. But in that moment, I would really be scared that I'd be like not being able to tell the difference between a, like a ruft and a spruce. Well, I mean I thing. mean
1: if you're if you're a grouse hunter, it's a reflex. It's a right. reflex. But I mean, I you know we have uh, up in the UP we have spruce grouse and I have had my dogs point a couple of them and uh, luckily you know I you know I didn't shoot at him or anything like that but um, it's you know I can see how you know it's like man you're just when that dog's on point you're so your brain's only thinking one thing it's like how are you gonna get the shot how are you gonna get the shot and then when it happens you. You know what I mean? You you You, you
2: identify the bird, but, but it's so instinctive. It's so reactionary and it happens so fast. For those that haven't grouse hunted, I can't describe how fast things play out when a grouse, because it's nothing like what you see pheasant hunting, like where these, where the pheasant takes off and like, you get this great look at it over a grand field of whatever you're in. Right. It's not like that. Like you see it, I don't know other than like you see shadows between trees. Yeah, it's very rare. Yeah, I mean, it's very rare. Part, I get one that flies down a think. logging road.
1: <laughs> yeah, you just don't have time to think. You know, it's all instinct and, and reaction, and that's what. I mean, there's there's been a few times where I've taken a few, you know, a few clients out, and uh, you know, man, I had this girl one time, and she was with a, it was with a bigger company, and they all got outfitted with brand new, brand new Satori's. and she had this. They gave her this brand new brand-new Satori uh 12 gauge. It was like a huge gun. Like it would have fit me. And there's this was okay. little young, you know, this I say girl. She was a woman, but she's very small. And uh, my dog went up to and this grouse got up and the first shot she fired was from the hip. <laughs> and then she mounted the gun and shot. And I watched this grouse ball. And she was like, oh, I got one. And man, that was the first the first grouse that she ever shot at. You know what I mean? Wow. Um, but and I you know, I have to tell her I'm like, man, you know, it's you're you're very you're very fortunate, you know what I mean? Good, you know, good for you, you got lucky. And then right. you do know, I don't think sure you went shot at another you know, grass the whole rest of the trip, but sometimes you get sometimes you get lucky, but for the most part you you do a lot of missing and you know, <laughs> I, I agree.
2: And it, it, it's funny too because people like my favorite shotgun is I have a older twenty gauge Satori with twenty four inch barrels and older upland. Nice. It's really the light one of the old
1: sh- upland specials.
2: Yep, yep, and I love it. I love that gun with the twenty four inch barrels and and people are like, but those don't swing. I'm like, you ain't swinging on grouse because yeah. if you swing on grouse, you're gonna bounce off a tree and you're never gonna complete your swing.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, that's another thing. When I when I was a kid, my grandpa was like, well, you want the shortest gun you can get. Now, everybody's talking more about balance and everything like that. And, you know, I can see that, but so I traded in or sold off a lot of my shorter guns, and I got a little bit longer guns now. But, man, it doesn't, for grouse hunting, it doesn't make a difference. When you're, when you, when you got time to think about your shot, it does make a difference. But for grouse hunting, I don't think it makes a difference at all. You're not swinging through anything, you're just shooting
2: i agree 100 if anything the only thing i would rather have a shorter gun that fit me perfectly because it's because it's all about your mount to me with grouse hunting because if, if you're not mounting your gun right you, you're you not pointing where you're shooting because you're not yeah. swinging you don't have time all, to get
1: what it all boils down to the grouse hunting is your timing and that plays into your mount. you know you right. you know you get to know your gun you get to know you're bringing up to your cheek shoulder you know safety cheek shoulder pull the trigger and that's all it's all about timing if you want to be consistent, somewhat consistent in a grouse shot. And, and there's a lot of guys out there that I know they're really good grouse shots and they make me look like I'm an idiot. I'm, I, I, am a very streaky shooter. Um, sometimes I, you know, I can shoot, I'll shoot five birds in a row and I'll, I'll feel like I'm, you know, the king of the world and I'll miss the next time. And uh, sure, I, I think that's pretty common. But uh, I, I you
2: yeah, I miss probably ninety percent of the girls I shoot at. That's for sure. I, I am, I am probably too selective on shots. I do let a lot of birds pass that I feel like are slightly out of range because I don't want to wound one. I don't want one to sail off and then my dog doesn't find like or yeah, like I think that or like I feel. That. And That'll even if I think game. it's a, right, and even if I think like some back, like some of them when I first started shooting, like. You know, I probably wounded some of those birds and totally thought they were a clean miss just because they carry so much momentum. And it's really hard to tell the difference between a grouse that's sailing and a grouse that's just flying away. Because like after they get that huge thunderous flush and they get some speed up, a lot of times they'll glide.
1: Yeah, they'll carry shot, yeah. One of my, um, man, I, I like vintage American shotguns. That's kind of my thing. And I really like Parker shotguns. I don't have a big clutch or anything. I can't I can't afford to be that guy, but I have a couple <laughs> nice guns that I like a lot. And uh, one of these guns I always wanted was a Parker Reproduction twenty eight gauge. And I got one, and uh, I shot it really well at clays. And you know, I took it out bird hunting, and man, I was shooting these grouse, and I didn't have any indication that I shot him. And then, you know, fifty, a hundred yards down the trail, my dog would go on point, and it'd be this grouse that I just shot, and it'd be there, stone dead. I'm like, man, you know. So that got me thinking, man, what about all the grouse I hit that I didn't find, you know? Right. So then I moved back up to you know, twenty gauge and, 16 gauge is what I shoot mostly now but um you know like you said I mean it's just a horrible feeling if you leave something in the woods like that. I, I, I mean
2: I agree I get I just I get as torn up about losing a grouse or a woodcock as I do if I make a bad shot at, or I've made a bad shot on a deer I think twice with a bow where I tracked it and couldn't find it and honestly I am just as torn up about a deer as I am when I know I watched a grouse fall or a woodcock fall, and for some reason we just can't find it, yeah. and I get just as torn up about it. Absolutely, I can't. I mean, I losing a bird is it? It just sucks. Like it, it. And it's unfortunately, it, it is a part of hunting. It, I mean. Having more dogs on the ground always makes always helps, right? Having a dog that hunts dead really well always helps. That, yeah, but... that's
1: another reason why I could never, you know, I couldn't fathom hunting without a dog. Is because it happens so. There's so many birds. Even I you know, on a normal day, there's a good proportion of my birds that would, you know, both grouse and woodcock that if I didn't have a dog, I wouldn't. I would not be able to find them. You know, just right? because when a bird hits the ground in the grouse woods in the fall, especially before the ferns and just where you're hunting them at, it's like finding a needle in the haystack. I mean, you you can be a proponent of hunting birds without a dog, but there's, man, there's just no way you're gonna find a good proportion of your birds without a dog.
2: I've watched, so I rescued my Griff at six and we worked a lot on hunt dead. And and, and when I first got her, like, it was really hard to get her to focus on hunt dead, it really was. Mm -hmm. And we worked really hard on that and this year was her first year like i really was proud of her like she retrieved a ton of birds this year so yeah. it was amazing it was really really good for us i really i mean we had a great year when it came to retrieving birds um but i remember watching a woodcock fall and just kept working her in that area and working her in that area and working her in that area and i'm walking around as well and i knew that bird was there and it took me 35 minutes before I found it. Cause I, it, she wasn't hunting dead yet. I was still working on that with her and it took me 35 minutes and I knew the tree it fell in front of, cause it was kind of in a clearing and it flushed out of it flushed out of a thicket through a clearing t- towards an old Oak. And I watched it like bounce through the branches of this Oak. So mm-hmm. I knew it was right at the, and it still took me 35 or 40 minutes to find this woodcock.
1: Yep. Yeah. I mean, you got to figure if they're, they're holding on to their last breath. They don't, they're going to do everything they can to avoid being found by whatever's pursuing them. So, right? It, yeah, I had, a, you know, similar experience. I was out in Wisconsin here, oh shoot, just, just last month. And uh, it was, it was getting towards the end of the day and me and my buddy that weren't familiar with the area, uh, we went, went in and we just had two of my pups down and uh, we got into a bunch of grouse. And I shot one and I knocked it down and went over to find it and couldn't find it. And then I put up another bird that I thought was it, it turned out to be another bird. And I got that too. And I had two birds down without it, you know, when it was getting dark and two puppies on the ground, I couldn't find either of them. And I ended up having my buddy go back and getting some of the older dogs and coming back and they found both, they, they found both of the birds. But um, that's just another thing where people don't really think about, you know, just finding the birds for the initial flush is finding them after you knock them down
2: which can be far more challenging i mean it it's can amazing be far more
1: challenging yeah it's
2: amazing how that coloration of their feathers and grouse and woodcock have completely different colorations right i mean gray phase red phase grouse and then you got the completely different browns on a woodcock man when they hit a forest floor they oh, disappear man,
1: you can, yeah you can be staring right at them and not see them.
2: It's, it, it's just amazing how well nature's camouflaged those birds. And like when you actually hold them in your hand, you're like, how does this thing blend in? It's grays and blacks or it's reds and or it's browns and blacks. It's like this really doesn't look like anything that's on the floor. But when they're on that forest floor.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you put it all, put it all together and it's better than anything we could come up with as far as camouflage goes. <laughs>
2: absolutely i feel like more camouflage manufacturers should look at like <laughs> bird coloring when they're looking at trying to
1: hide things yeah maybe i should start deer hunting in a grouse suit there you go there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, now, I'm, right now i'm picturing like a, a grouse colored big bird suit
1: <laughs> hey at least we get everybody something to talk about at camp right yeah, that it would that it would <laughs>
2: Well, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been a really fun show. It's been a great, great talking about like grouse camp and the dogs and the birds and like just the woods and that experience in general. So I'll, I'll give these last couple minutes to you. If there's anybody you want to thank, and let any if you want to like let anybody know how to follow you on social media or anything like that.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, I'd like to thank my grandpa. He's really the, the main reason I do. You know, I'm, I'm still. You know, I never got interested in grassland to begin with and then my wife who she's really an enabler as far as me being able to get out in the woods in the fall goes, but you know I'll, you know really it's just, you know just getting out there and enjoying yourself with your with some like minded people and your dogs. And that's really what what makes it all, you know, worthwhile to me. So uh yeah, and you can Follow me. I don't really get on Facebook too much, but on Instagram I'm uh, Upland Low Life. And um Yeah, that's really really about it.
2: And that's underscore that's Upland underscore low life, correct? Yeah. Yep. yep, that's it. And then if you want to let everyone know the name of your grouse guiding business, if you are taking on new clients. If you're not taking on new clients, you can be like, I'll let you know later.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm uh right now I'm not really you know, not really taking on any new clients, okay. but uh, get a hold of me, you know, through my Instagram and if you're interested in anything and uh, you know, you can hold me through there and we can talk about it. Sounds good. Well, Jay, like I said,
2: I really appreciate you coming on. Why don't you hang out for one second? I'm going to close us out here and then we'll do a brief recap after. Yeah, sure. Everyone else, all the listeners, as always, I wouldn't do this if you guys didn't actually want to listen to me talk, which I, I don't know why you do. Um, so, but thank you as always. And until next time, keep chasing that experience.
1: Thanks for tuning
3: in to another killer episode on Paddle in Fin.